Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's a Honduran connection. This is Soccer Matters, brought to you by the Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLaw.com. Here's Glenn Davis. It is a glorious Monday to talk football and a glorious Monday for Austin FC and all of you supporters. Talk about living up to the moment at Q2 Stadium against LAFC. It was a beatdown. The Verde ripped apart LAFC in a battle of the two most aesthetically pleasing and successful teams in all of Major League Soccer, in my uh, humble opinion. Gareth and Carlos, who? Welcome into Soccer Matters on the Horn in Austin, Texas, presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm. It's DaspitLawAustin.com. Thank you uh, to the Daspit Law Firm and John Daspit. Uh, you give them a call at 512-865-6710. They are bilingual. John and his firm, they're personal injury attorneys. They're going to take your case, car, boat, motorcycle, whatever the accident they will cover you. They are big soccer fans at the Daspit Law Firm. It's DaspitLawAustin.com, presenting sponsor here on The Horn, bilingual at 512-865-6710. All right, there, there was so much to get after here tonight on the show. And um, just want to remind you, we stream at HornFM.com. Guests include tonight Rodrigo De Luna. Uh, he is our Soccer Matters League MX expert. We're going to talk with Rodrigo about the demise of Cruz Azul in Liga MX after recently winning a title and how this team got deconstructed and why. Also, we're going to get into El Tri, the Mexican national team, the devastating news that they will not have attacker Tecatito Corona, who broke his leg and has ankle damage. We discuss some of the options and potentials and more for Tata Martino. Tom Stone is a head coach at Texas Tech Women's Soccer as a long lens from a lifetime of being involved in the game from the playing standpoint and coaching, including his time when he was a head coach of the Atlanta Beat. 17 years, he's run the program at Texas Tech with real success. We talk women's soccer, where it lies now, both collegiately and professionally. Get the Soccer Matters podcast, hornfm.com. That's also where we stream. Follow on Twitter and Instagram at Soccer Matters GD and Glenn Davis Sock. All right. Austin FC smacked down LAFC four to one in a performance where they were dominant in all facets of the game. I mean, this was a spectacle. The entire league was on top of this. This was the biggest game, in my opinion, of the year in Major League Soccer. What a great watch and what a great opportunity, though, for Austin FC. And I say opportunity because The stage a lot of times can be set, but it is not lived up to. The staff, the team, they lived up to a night of opportunity in all ways possible for Austin FC. So from the standpoint of quality and entertainment, purposeful football, these are the two teams I would watch and pick in the league to watch over all others. From a fan perspective, what they do, Uh, is what we want to see. 
They're intense. They're collective. There's a defining purpose of play. There's exciting personalities. What about dribblers? Simply players that take others on off the dribble and take risk. Um, you know, uh, a purpose of play that, you know, is aggressive, that does take risk. This is what fans want to see. Unpredictability, something special. This truly is an amazing turnaround. But again, I go back to last year and say that despite what people said about the season, you saw principles being implemented by Josh Wolf. So I laughed when an element of the fans of Austin FC wanted him fired. Then again, this is okay because this is called healthy pressure. It exists in Austin. You must have this element in a soccer market. This is an asset to any professional soccer club. And it reminds you that you've arrived, that you have gotten into the vein of importance and interest in a city. Players, astute signings. Conversion of players positionally, like John Gallagher, for example, a system that gets the best out of individuals who are put in places to succeed. Understanding and communication from a staff to players that despite great individual players, there is the buy-in to the collective. They're coachable, they're intelligent, strong character, ability to come back. They've got that, the powers of recovery, the patterns of passing on the Kansas of of Q2 are simply eye-popping. Now, look, the win over LAFC is big. They are the press media darlings around the country. There's no question. So on to the match we go. I love the twin sixes in Danny Pereira and Alex Ring. The firepower to join in also when you are in transition. Your front runners producing goals. 32nd minute Fagundes, 47 Arudi, 50 Arudi, 59 Driussi. So that's basically four goals in 27 minutes. Highest goal scoring team in the league. Arango pulled one back for LAFC. That was consolation, 61st. 15, 6, and 6 in the league. Second behind LAFC in the West and the most goals again at 59. So let's examine these goals. Let's do the anatomy of a goal here. 32nd minute, Diego Fagundes. Now he becomes the free free kick master again. It's the opening goal. What a start. There's Bedlam in Q2. Now let's just think for a moment here. Pause. The season this man has had. Leads the team in assists. He's got a dozen. And he's having a remarkably consistent season. And you never saw this really in New England. Yeah, there were patches. but It didn't play in a bigger way because of the market. But he's a star man in this system. Consistent creator and goal-scoring threat. Diego Fagundes. How much fun is it to watch this guy? This man works beyond belief, by the way. is essential to this transition game, and he was on this night against LAFC. Personally, who wants to go up against him one-on-one? He does not stop pressing. He does not stop running. He can wear the mind out of an opponent. And it becomes a mind game. Best football of his career right now, Diego Fagundes. Good for him. 47th, they'll make it 2-0. Fagundes off the free kick into the box. Bale will head it clear. Now, LAFC is really slow to get out and get pressure on the ball. Lima just glides, you know, puts it in, in, in a second gear, glides by a, a defender that we will not mention his name to protect his identity. And he gets towards the end line, hits in this delicate clipped-in cross that just teases and gets over the head of Gareth Bale. Arudi is unmarked. He produces the header. Now, just remember, 
I said humbly on this show, when Maxi Arruti was signed, you can go back and listen to the podcast, that he would be a 10-goal scorer in Josh Wolf's system. He would be surrounded by the right players, and he will become a very important signing. I think he's now on nine goals. So, yeah, we'll give ourselves a little pat on the back for that one. But having watched him in Houston, I, I knew this had a real st- distinct possibility of happening. 51st minute now. Let's, let's go back to a Rudy because this is a goal that brings out all the qualities and elements of him, right? So what are those elements? Selflessness, work ethic, pressing, movement, mobility, relentless attitude, running, vertical defending. And when I say vertical, that is running back into midfield to defend going back towards your own goal. And that's exactly what Arudi does. So you have to take this goal back. You have to watch Arudi come back and poke tackle the ball away from an LAFC player to Alex Ring. Now, this is near the halfway line. Arudi at that moment, after the ball gets to Ring, knows he's going to play forward. He takes off going forward. Ring finds Fagundes. Now, this is an eye-of-the-needle pass from him, it looked to me. And now, like a, like a flip of the switch, this transition game is on. It's in motion. It's flowing. People are getting in front of the ball, including a Rudy. And LAFC is a mess defensively. They're out of shape. They're wrecked. They're all over the place all over the place. Fagundes will find a Rudy. He's gotten in the box and a Rudy will score from, from an oblique angle. Fantastic goal. This brings out every element pretty much of Maxi Rudy and what he brings. 59th minute, more from Fagundes to Driussi. Now Driussi will get his 19th. It's an amazing turn and He turns a defender, his ability to stop and start. Don't forget about that. All these great individual players have this wonderful attacking players, this wonderful ability to stop, start, change direction, swivel their hips, all with the ball at their feet. This is what he does, and then he lashes in the finish. Phenomenal. And and this is so much about, yes, the man's skill, but also about his amazing awareness. And just that remarkable Driussi indigenous understanding of where he is on the field. And I mean, there's wow factor to this one too. So now you're smoking LAFC. It's three nil. Or that, I mean, that's uh, uh, pardon me. That's goal number four. Um, and, and you are smoking LAFC. Arango's going to get one for LAFC. No one looks, no one needs to look at the data on this game. If you watch the game, You don't even need to look at the data. This game was controlled, the timeliness of the goals, the effort, the energy, the sharpness. This was controlled totally by Austin FC. It was dominant, a match that just literally demystified the, uh, the, the thing that they call LAFC. The aura of invincibility has just been shattered. Maybe there's a blueprint here. I don't know. Maybe. 
So what is next for Josh Wolf and staff? And, and, you know, because now for me, this is all about the approach and how you're going to enter the playoffs and momentum and confidence, which is not something that lacks in this team. So one assumes that Josh Wolf and staff are rebooting the team and keeping them grounded after such a high, beautiful performance on a showcase on a night where you had to live up to it. And boy, did you the way this team enters that second season though, the playoffs managing players, mentalities physically is now where my attention goes game by game. Because if you remember great seasons, great bodies of work in MLS overall bodies, they're not, they're not as coveted in a playoff system. They are by the players and the coach. And for those who love consistency, and there are a lot of us out there, but great bodies of work in major league soccer get bounced real fast in the playoffs. All I got to do is ask new England and Colorado from last year. It's that balance of looking ahead, but not too much. And this is going to be critical in the coming weeks, but wow, was this a great night? What a watch this was. Um, but just watch closely with a fine tooth comb how this team is going to enter the playoffs. It's fascinating. You want to stay injury free. You want to be fresh. All of those things, easy to say from the outside. And this is where a manager is really going to earn it even more in Josh Wolf. But uh, man, that was just a wonderful game. All right. On that note, we're going to take a break here on the Horn in Austin, Texas. Show is presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm, DaspitLawAustin.com, 512-865-6710. Bilingual, John and his firm, personal injury attorneys. Um, give them a call or hit them up at DaspitLawAustin.com. Support those sponsors that support the game. Also, a reminder, would love for you to grab one of the Soccer Matters t-shirts at LamontBrands.com. All the proceeds go to the 501C charity Snowdrop Foundation. This is for scholarships for pediatric cancer patients, uh, awareness and fundraising. So um, they produce these T-shirts. They send them all at their cost. I promote the heck out of it on the radio. And all that money goes back to the Snowdrop Foundation, a 501C charity. Take a break. Rodrigo de Luna, uh, Liga MX expert, is next. the soccer matters here on the horn in austin texas as we continue to roll on here john daspit and the daspit law firm it's daspitlawaustin.com presenting sponsors 512-865-6710 john and his firm they're personal injury attorneys look none of us want to get in an accident none of us want any injury to family or friends or others but look if you get in an accident whether it's car boat motorcycle you drive an 18-wheeler you need the best representation possible. It is our presenting sponsor. It is DaspitLawAustin.com. 512-865-6710. That's 512-865-6710. They are bilingual. And by the way, John is a big football fan, big fan of Austin FC, the Premier League, and uh, football around the world. So we appreciate him 
bringing the game to you, as well as uh, the Horn FM. All right, let's go to our next guest. Uh, we consider him on Soccer Matters, our Liga MX expert. He is Rodrigo De Luna. He joins us now. Rodrigo, thank you very much for coming on the show, as always. Man, how are you today? Doing great. I want to get into Cruz Azul. I know you, historically, growing up as a young man, uh, you were a big Cruz Azul fan. I want to just talk about kind of this incredible sort of series of events that has occurred. You know, they find the way, finally win the title in 2021, 22. Um, the manager, Juan Reynoso, was a former player from Peru who comes back, leads them to glory. It's a great team. Um, he's a Cruz Azul legend, their first title in 24 years. And then inexplicably, management, ownership, decides to basically gut and sell off this championship team is this simply commercial? What happened here? Take us through this. Well, Glenn, as you know, um, the next step, you know, like all Latin America, it's corruption. Um, Liga MX is no exception, like a lot of leagues in, in, in South America, unfortunately. There's a lot of money generated in Mexico. Um, you, you yourself know that you've, you've been down there and you've seen the games and you work with people down there. There's a lot of money generated and uh, selling players Overinflated, over at overinflated prices, and, and and under the table cuts is a part of the business there. Cruz uh, Azul, when when Juan Inoso took over, he didn't he didn't bring anybody in. He used the squad he had, and he, he made them play well, and they only lost one game in that championship. But uh, you know, there, there there's there's money to be made in, in, in selling players and buying players at overinflated prices. And that's what happened. Cusco pays very well. Mexico pays very well, and, and they bring in players that are not up to the rejects, basically rejects from South American clubs. And this is what happens. So this team is disbanded. It's, it's most of the players are sold. Reynoso is, is pushed out of the club. They bring in a guy I've never heard of, Diego Aguirre, to manage the team, and we see the results. Yeah, he's already been fired. Club America hammered Cruz Azul seven 0 The guy only lasted. 100 games here, and uh, I'm sorry, it was fired after 100 days, excuse me, there were protests. Okay, so here's where I get conflicted here, because there is money in winning championships too, right? There is money in, in building a championship team over a number of years. So they elect, to, is this the easy way out and just go commercial and gut the team and sell everybody, bring in a lot of money and think you're going to do it again that easily? The thing about this, Glenn, when these things like this happen, the club doesn't benefit. It's the people at the top, the four or five people at the top who run things. They're the ones that benefit. It's their pockets that get lined. The club suffers. The fans suffer. You know, it's, 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 uh, and for school fans, me included, you know, we've suffered humiliation after humiliation. Five finals, five finals lost until, until Reynoso came in. And now here we are with the worst. The worst drubbing in Cruz Azul history by a hated rival, Club America. Yeah. So that's 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 a uh, a spot a stain that won't be washed away for a while because this, everybody knows, fans know it, everybody knows this is business as usual. Cruz Azul, by the way, who has just recently won that title, is now 17th out of 18 teams in Liga MX. Is this the kind of thing that? You know, we see all these connections between MLS, the president of Liga MX saying, you know, he's very concerned about the growth of Major League Soccer and keeping up with them. 
is it these types of incidences now that really uh, are, are kind of in a lot of ways telling us what Liga MX is about. And, and maybe this is also a reason why the gap is narrowing between the two countries and their two respective leagues. The people who run Liga MX, the people who run uh, the Mexican national team, Televisa and those are only concerned with money. They're not concerned with the growth of the sport. They're not concerned with bringing up new Mexican talent. Their drive is to make money in any way possible. They don't care about the sport. They don't care about the fans. It's it's about their pockets and their level of influence. That's the reality of it. This is why Mexico will never, until, until there's a change in, 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 in the hierarchy and there's a change in bring people in who, like it used to be, people that love the sport, like to reach along with Guillermo, Alves Macias, they put their own money, they love the sport, they want to see young players come up. Until that goes back, then it's going to be the same. Uh, MLS will surpass, will surpass Liga Mekis if things continue the same way. Rodrigo De Luna joining us, our Soccer Matters Liga MX expert. By the way, uh, in the Liga MX table right now, very competitive. Monterey, Toluca, Tigris. Uh, Monterey and Toluca on 21 points. Tigris on 20. America Santos uh, on 19. And then there's Pachuca at 18. So it's a, a six-team race right now. So there is a lot of competition there. All right. Um, I get the sense when I talk to you that you are not at all in favor of this how close the two leagues are coming. Uh, and and I, I do understand it's business between Major League Soccer and League MX. I think most people do. But, you know, whenever you hear that combined talk of the two leagues, I, I'm with you. Uh, I, I love them both having their separate identities. I don't want to see this become nebulous and cloudy with two leagues. Glenn, the Mexican League should be in Mexico. The MLS should be in the United States. We have the CONCACAF Champions League where the best teams in both leagues compete for the honor of going to the World Cup of Clubs and representing CONCACAF on the club level. That's the way it's been. That's where it should be. I am not interested in fact that actually, because I know what it's about, it's about money, it's about commercialism, it's about marketing. It, it, it's, 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 it's wrong. It's another globalist style money grab. I am against it, and as much as I love the Mexican League, as much as I love Crucial Sur, that's my team, I will not watch it. I will not support it. I will not watch it, because uh, I know what it's about, and it's destroying. You know, this greed and commercialism and marketing, and so it's destroying football as a whole, in my opinion. In my humble opinion, it's destroying our game, because now money and marketing become the primordial, primordial goal for for, for some, directors some teams rodrigo have done a better job of rebalancing the commercial side of it which we all know has to be a part of it but oh yeah also not lost their identity as a football club now i can look at some clubs and say yeah that's a purely commercial club whether that's mls whether that's liga mx whether that's any of the top leagues in europe i can make a judgment yeah that club is more about commercial Yes, uh, but then very, there very are the, the clubs that really uh, are, are are better run, have a better vision, and can combine both the great history uh, from a football side, remain a football club, but also 
can do very well commercially, obviously. You see the teams in Mexico that are doing that? Pachuca's number one, what they've accomplished. Uh, first Mexican side to win a South American championship, their Hall of Fame. The best players lately have come out of Pachuca. Our Club America's done things right. Tigres uh, and Real so Monterrey have done things right. You have other clubs that are looking to do that, but you know, also the same side, there is the undercurrent of political corruption. A lot of these teams are tied into politicians, the politics of Mexico. The beer companies and Coca-Cola in Mexico pretty much run things. That's they're the money behind everything. There's 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 all kinds of ties to that. You see also the uh, the networks, Televisa, Tevesteca, there they run things also. So even though a lot of clubs are doing things right, there's still that undercurrent of political and financial corruption. And the Mexican league is very competitive. That's one thing it has. It's a competitive league. It's fun to watch. I'm not saying because I'm Mexican, but it is. But I'm the first one to tell you it's corrupt. It needs to be a change. And, you know, Glenn, you and I talk about this every four years, every time the qualifiers come. I always say, God, Glenn, I hope Mexico doesn't qualify because that's the only way we'll have a a house clean. What happened... When U.S. didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup, was the best thing that happened to U.S. You got rid of, you got rid of absolute cleansing. And you know, after the initial upset of that not not qualifying, I just said, "Wow, this could be a huge opportunity. We can now accelerate Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, all these young talents, clean this thing up, freshen it up, and we actually, I think, at this moment, look." A little bit better than Mexico going into the next World Cup in in Qatar. Undoubtedly, Glenn. And you know, it's it's what it is, Glenn. You know, Mexican young Mexican players are out there. They're great. They're great talents, but they'll never get a shot because it's it's more financial gain to bring in reject players from South from South America and sell them at an inflated value where people line their pockets. You know. People complain yeah, because about, of agents' fees and all the things that are going yeah, on in the but, background. You, you know, Pachuca is the only club that's that's bringing up Mexican talent. And you, know, you say what you will about Chivas, um, and people complaining because they're only they only field Mexican players. Well, that's the only way Mexican players can get a chance to compete because the, in all markets, you know, the foreign now now I'm not bad bothering foreign players because Tigres bought well with with uh, you see with Guignac, uh, Monterrey is brought in good. Good talent. Cruz Azul is bought great South American talent at the time, too. Some of their best players in history have been South Americans, along with some of the old Mexican players. Club America's bought in good, they bought in well, but the majority is that there's money to be made in, in, in these transfers. Okay, I got that. Rodrigo De Luna joining us, uh, our Liga MX expert. We got uh, about three minutes, so we're going to have to hit this hard here. Mexico will play Poland, Saudi Arabia, and Algeria in the World Cup. Obviously, everybody knows. They are coached by Tata Martino. They just got a huge blow, Rodrigo. As you know, Tecatito Corona fracturing his fibula, left ankle damage. Uh, the question is, who's going to replace him? And there's a lot of guys that I think are lining up for this. Diego Lainez, Ariel Antuna, Orbelin Pineda, Alexis Vega. Who do you think is going to jump out of that pack and be the guy that replaces Corona? Um, you know, because we know Corona with all that dribbling ability, the breakdown capability, the speed, very, very talented guy. Who do you think is the front runner to potentially replace him? And, you know, we're saying this a ways out here. There's a potential of injury. It, it, it may be just about form. But but who, in your opinion, do you like? 
Well, you know, there's also another kid called Marcelo Flores that plays in Europe. He's a young kid. Um, but isn't he like 18? Yeah, yeah. It, it, the thing about all these players we just talked about right now, Glenn, they can all do the job, but it depends if they can adapt to Tata Martino's uh, direction in such a short time. Because he has to change something. Dr. Matthew has to change some things up because they, Mexico struggled for the world in, in qualifying for the World Cup. So they came out second place next to Canada. They still didn't convince anybody that they're ready for a World Cup. So it's, whoever he, whoever steps in this place is going to have a, is going to have a, uh, a, a, a challenge in adapting to that style and changing. Whereas because Mexico's also become predictable when they play. You know, just just the the way they play. And All right, so Chucky Lozano's still there. Um, yeah, still have Raúl Jiménez, who I don't think yeah. has gotten back to his form after that really scary injury here. And we got about a minute and a half. I want to toss in another name who's playing at Monterey on loan from, believe it or not, Inter Miami. And I think his career dipped a little bit after that whole Inter Miami deal. And that is Rodolfo Pizarro. Where do you see him? I think he's still a good player. I think. Uh, I think. I just think. My uh, Golden Balls FC is just not a good club for anybody to go to. <laughs> Come on, man. We like Beckham. And I will never call him Inter. Sorry, I'm an Inter Milan fan. I will never call him Inter. I prefer to call him Golden Balls FC. You know, I do love how strong uh, your your comments are. And, and, and you know, we do love you getting right, right to the core of things. You don't mess around. Uh, so you think Inter-Miami should have been called Golden Balls FC? <laughs> <laughs> Anything but Inter. Anything but Inter. I just don't agree with that. Uh, Miami's not that diverse of city, really. We've adapted all these things, you know. Yeah, well, FC, uh, Austin FC, Real, Real Salt Lake. Really, what what monarch crowned Salt Lake so they can call themselves Real? Real means royal. That's why you have Real Madrid, Real Oviedo, Real España because they, they someone it was a it was a royal figure in monarch who bestowed the title, and it only happens in Spain. Right, so there is no real unless unless the king of Spain says, "Hey guys, you guys that team in uh, Salt Lake, you know what? Go ahead, you know, here you go. You're royal now." No, no, I'm sorry. Come on, no. But regardless of the fact, it's but just. But I thought imitation back. was the greatest form of flattery. What's wrong with the imitation? It, it depends. It depends how you imitate it. You can take something, imitate it, and make it your own, or 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 you know, uh, maybe take it to another level. Then I understand you've taken something as an influence, not as an, not as as a direct imitation. Take and you know, make it an influence. Yes, we were influenced by this club, but we made it our own unique type of deal. But you know, anyone who knows anything about football, only in Spain you have Real because Spain is you know has a monarchy, though they don't rule. They're still very symbolic, very important, like the Queen of England is to uh, the Britons. Now going well, back to Pizarro, got- going back to Pizarro, I think you stayed my intermediate different. They're they're a very flux team. You don't have a steady uh, coaching. There, uh, we'll see how he does at Monterrey. Rodrigo, thank you so much for your time. As always, good fun interview. You get right to the point. It's always enjoyable to to speak with you. Thank you very much for coming on tonight. Thank you, Glenn. God bless you, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, that's Rodrigo De Luna, our Liga MX expert. There, some good strong commentary. Love that uh, show presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm. DaspitLawAustin.com five one two eight six five six seven one zero. John and his firm are presenting sponsor. We appreciate uh, everything they do for our show here on the Horn and, of course, back in Houston on ESPN Radio as well. So a big thanks to them. Hey, Austin FC fans and, uh, and any of you listening in tonight, football fans, 
LamontBrands.com. LamontBrands.com. That's where you get your Soccer Matters t-shirt. Uh, all the proceeds will go to the 501c charity uh, Snowdrop Foundation. Again, that's LamontBrands.com. Would love to see some people picking off a few of those because all the proceeds will go to the Snowdrop Foundation who provides scholarships, uh, fundraising, and pediatric cancer awareness. So a big thank you for that. Uh, you can hit me up on uh, Twitter and Facebook. I'm trying to get my Twitter account back up after it was hacked, but uh, at Soccer Matters GD, all the support would be appreciated. We'll take a break. We have one more segment to go here tonight. It is the best in soccer talk, self-proclaimed. It is Soccer Matters on the horn. Presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm in Austin, Texas. All right, welcome back to Soccer Matters here uh, on ESPN 97.5. As always, presented by John Daspit and the Daspit Law Firm. Hey, a quick word for John and his firm. They're personal injury attorneys. Uh, they're committed to working for you 24-7 nights and weekends. Nobody wants to get in an accident. If you do, car, boat, motorcycle, uh, maritime. Yeah, it's nervy. Nobody likes it. Uh, but few things are worse than injury to someone or to family members. That's when you call the Daspit Law Firm, 713-322-HURT, 713-322-HURT. They're bilingual. John and his firm, again, personal injury attorneys, DaspitLaw.com. And by the way, have supported and gotten soccer on the airwaves for many, many years. And we thank John and the Daspit Law Firm. All right. Great friend over a long time, big contributor to the women's college game, the sport in general here in the United States. He is the head coach of Texas Tech, the Red Raiders. He is Tom Stone. He joins us now. Tom, thank you very much for coming on the show tonight. Good to be here. Great to see you again. Well, you know, I wanted to, you know, it was interesting the way uh, you and I had our memories jolted here. I was watching one of your former players, Kirsten Davis, score uh, a great goal against the run of play. I had seen that at Texas Tech with you, one of your former yeah. players. It prompted me to reach out to you and um, just remind myself of all the work you've done at Tech. So just, you know, through your lens, the college game from when you started to where it is now. I, I mean, overall, it's it's so much better now, right? I mean, you know, I'm really close with Anson and we celebrate his glory days of no one could touch him and he won almost every championship. But it's certainly better for the game now that there's so many other teams that are contenders. He certainly deserves a lot of credit for carrying the flag for so long. But now there are so many elite level teams. That pile of teams has gotten bigger. Um, there's a ton of uh, level one teams, as we call them, that also have a shot to get to the College Cup. And then the level of level two teams has gotten good enough to beat level one and elite teams. So you really have a, a, a larger number of teams that are that are benefiting from the great development you know, mechanism that youth soccer is in this country. You know, Glenn, youth soccer gets bashed on all the time. And it's so interesting as we continue to churn out Alex Morgan, who grows up in the, you know, California youth system and then goes to Cal Berkeley and then goes to the U-20s, then goes to the full team and is all of a sudden, you know, one of the most decorated forwards in the world. Youth soccer's got to get some credit for that. College soccer's got to get some credit for that. Obviously, pro soccer is the major developmental tool in this country now, which we're happy about. But uh, the college game has grown so much. And because of that, the player pool's gotten bigger. So because of that, we've all been able to get better. And I think it just makes every season that much more exciting. This is the best college soccer has probably been from a technical standpoint and a tactical standpoint, which needed to grow. Uh, we've always been known for athleticism. That's, that's the game that we see in college, unfortunately, sometimes. And also, 
it's a thing of beauty sometimes, but the rest of college soccer is also getting better uh, with the coaching and the preparation that I think the teams are going through. He is Tom Stone. He is the head coach of Texas Tech, and uh, they're uh, heading into a big season here. Uh, we're going to get into your schedule in a minute here, but but from a coaching perspective for you, because of the advancement of the game, I got to think the coaching side of it, the tactical side of it, this has gotten even more exciting for you at this stage. There's more that you can teach for sure. When when I came out of the WSA, the Women's Pro League, there was there was nothing that was off limits. You know, the whole playbook was wide open and we were learning every day too. I mean, I had players like Soon Win, the Chinese captain, and Cindy Parlow, the best young American, and Brianna Scurry, the best goalkeeper in the world, and Homari Sal, who went on to win the FIFA World Player of the Year. You know, they demanded a high level of, of I never slept worse knowing that I was going to go into practice and these girls are going to be like, that was terrible. Well, that was good coach. So we had to be good for them, but they knew what was good. And then you get to college, you think, okay, what exactly should we ask of them? And I think it's more of a building block philosophy. You build the, the, the blocks, the foundation of it, and then you can ask more of them. And they're eager for more because girls are watching more soccer than they've ever watched before. They certainly have a lot of access to our women's national team and other national teams. They, they, they like to watch the French team. Our team loves to watch the English team uh, as well. So I think they demand more, they want more, and we're able to deliver more. And that, that does make it more exciting. You know, I don't think it's systems as much anymore as it is trying to develop a good soccer playing team. And that helps develop good soccer players. And they have a better chance to go play, you know, in the pros afterwards, if they're in that environment. I'm assuming the college player now challenges you more than in the old days. Well, (laughs) in a lot of different ways, you know, they're changing quickly as the world is changing and we need to be able to pivot and give them what they need. Uh, You know, there's that fine balance, Glenn, of being tough and having enough discipline in your team and demands and structure that they feel uh, that they're being held accountable, but at the same time being sensitive to the ever-changing, you know, young person. And if you ignore that, you're asking for trouble. If you overplay that, your team may not be quite as competitive as you'd like. So, you know, it's always this balancing act, I think, of giving them what they need and, and helping them through the adversity that that sometimes means they have to go through it at the same time being super encouraging. Tom Stone, he's the head coach of Texas Cat. The Red Raiders, I've been up there, um, enjoyed uh, calling the game at your facility, beautiful college facility up there. And Tom has built a heck of a program, uh, actually uh, helped it rise from the ashes to being a national contender. Um, well, Glenn, just... You need to know that one of your best calls was in Austin <laughs> of our game, and it's made every highlight video that we've ever sent to a, a recruit. We owe you, I think, probably a lot of royalties for that, but um, – your call on our, our winning goal in overtime in Austin that Macy Schultz scored was so good. And even your kind of follow-up comment about the type of goal in the replay, it's, it's everywhere. I have it playing in the hallways as, as I walk into work every day. I didn't was, know I was as big as Buddy Holly up in Lubbock. Yeah. Oh, bigger, bigger. Yeah, bigger, for sure. No, nobody's bigger than Buddy, but uh, no, I appreciate that. You know, uh, I think you know that very much I take uh, – I've loved calling the women's game all these years. I called some of your games when you were with the WUSA Atlanta beat uh, that you just referenced. So I've absolutely loved it. I I like to think that people like myself, there's the Atlanta beat Jersey in the background. I like to think that, you know, it's important the commentary position to help the game grow and, and to take it serious and professional and, and the ladies deserve that. The coaches deserve that. Everybody does. And, and you know, if we could just stay on that for 30 seconds, not just to commend you, but, if we're going to grow the game, we as coaches have to be better. The players have to be, continue to be better and be exciting and be accessible. What thing I love about the women's game is the players are very media friendly for the most part, really interactive. 
officiating has to get better. And we're, we're hopefully seeing that at the international and the national stage. And the commentary has to get better because you're trying to tur- turn somebody on to women's soccer whose seven-year-old daughter plays. And they're listening to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and all of the best broadcasters in baseball, football, basketball. We got to deliver the same thing because people are like, ah, oh, turn that down. What did he say or what did she say? You know, whatever the case may be. And so you are really leading that because you've been doing it for so long. And um, I know we're trying to get a lot of people experience and there's, we need to be, have some grace. We need to have some patience. But a lot of stuff you read is kind of harsh on the commentary and we need to be better. You're one of the best. Maybe you should have your own training camp. Well, <laughs> you know, maybe who knows one day, but I, I enjoy every minute of it. And uh, I've really appreciated the access you know, that you've given me over the years and other coaches have. And to watch it through my lens and your lens, uh, just the overall growth of the individual college player, the tactics, the collective nature of it, the athleticism, you know, it, it really has been remarkable. Let's talk about your season. Uh, Texas Tech, your purpose of play, what you guys look to accomplish when you go on the field, you gals. and your Well, gals. you know, every college coach will tell you they love to pass the ball. And then there's a certain percentage of us that are certainly committed to it. Uh, we like to say possession is a weapon. Uh, but it's not an aesthetically thing. It's not a thing that we want to win on aesthetics because I, lo- I, I can't stand the comment where the coach says, oh, we had the ball the whole time. What was the score? Well, we lost 3-0. Well, yeah. then you didn't do a very good job. So a combination of being tough, good in the final third, aggressive defensively, we typically have a really fast team. And then if we can layer in the ability to hold on to the ball, ball security is talked about a lot in our team. And to be fair, the last couple of years, that has not been a big strength of ours. And we're coming back to that now, I believe. We've got a tremendously talented young group. We've got a great group coming in next year and hopefully the year after. So when you have the players to hold on to the ball, then you can do some fun things and you reward those forwards that make good runs instead of having them just chasing their tails. So I think we're, we're definitely, as you know, the Atlanta beat teams uh, that I coached and my youth teams. And now here we're very attacking oriented. We'll send, you know, the outside backs all day long. We'll push five, six people up the field, which means we've got to be good to defend that counter. We've got to be willing to, and we got to have fast defenders because sometimes they're left on an island. So I think that describes us. You know, we really want to keep the ball as we move up the field. We want to attack with our outside backs. We want to be a fun team to watch. Again, we're selling women's soccer in Lubbock, Texas. We've converted doctors, lawyers, engineers, male professors. The football coach comes to our games. He's like, cannot believe how hard your girls hit each other. I'm like, well, watch some of the teams we play. They hit us just as hard, if not harder. So we're, we're promoting the sport, I think, by playing a brand that's attractive. It also helps us recruit because players with great feet really like coming here because we're going we're gonna to let them touch the ball. Tom, how has uh, your recruiting changed? Is it within Texas? Has it changed over the years? You know, when I, Aaron Gordon and I were the first coaches here with Ashley, and we said from the very beginning, we are going to recruit from the clubs that we trust, from the directors of coaching that we know will support us, that will deliver players that are ready. Uh, to, to transition quickly to college. And we're not going to chase our tail in New York or Washington state or Maine or, you know, Idaho, although there's some heck of players in Idaho, believe it or not, but we stay in a general area of players that have come here that have liked it here. There's pipeline. There's a great one in Colorado with all the real players that are here, Lauren Donaldson, you know, and Lyle and all those guys at, uh, at real done such a good job. Rivers is back there. Now they've had such a great staff developing their teams. Jared's team won the national championship this year. So we get a lot of Colorado kids. Dallas is probably our primary with Austin and Houston, San Antonio. We've got players from all those cities. Um, and, and Arizona and California have been good to us. You know, it's interesting the number of really good California kids we've had. Haley Hagsman comes to mind. She was the best player in the state coming out her senior year and came to Texas Tech and had a great career. Got engaged here, got married here and almost stayed here. We ended up going off to uh, the West Coast to, to go to nursing school. But 
we do have kind of our areas, and thank goodness they're some of the top areas in the country, Denver and, and the great state of Texas as being our, our top two places. He's Tom Stone. Is this year 14, Tom? Man, I think it's 16. My 16. first season was seven, yeah. Shame on uh, me, 16. Well, I mean, that's an incredible. I've, blanked, I've honestly blacked out for the last two covid and coming out of covid seasons I'm, I'm pretending that they didn't happen um because they were so tough on these girls and and everybody but it's fun again the team we have right now is really enjoyable they're just like eager for information they come early they stay late uh, and these things usually translate into wins down the road maybe not when you're the youngest like we are right now but certainly translating to a good opportunity as we go forward your passion for the game always comes through. Look, I, I looked at your schedule. You got some very good uh, early games uh, as you prepare for the Big 12 competition. Arizona, Washington, a couple that stick out to me. Any others? Well, you know, there's some really good regional games here. Uh, when you play New Mexico, we recruit a lot of the same players. Heather does a tremendous job. They're winning their league almost every year. They're winning 14, 15 games. They're going to the NCAA tournament. So you may not have them on everyone's list, but they got to be on ours because they are a really good team. And they have a great RPI, and they win a lot of games. North Texas being another uh, one out of the Dallas area. They win their conference almost every year. They've been like 20 times to the NCAA tournament. That's a good rivalry because they're in Dallas. We play them there this year, uh, and they have a good RPI. So if you pair the Pac-12 games we have this year, Fresno State coming in, New Mexico here, North Texas on the road, and then you layer in West Virginia, TCU, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Kansas, all the top Big 12 teams – you got a pretty packed schedule. Uh, so I wouldn't say we overscheduled, but we certainly didn't make it easy for ourselves either. Are you conscious of trying to play a couple of West Coast teams, just thinking ahead to an NCAA tournament where you could potentially run into a team that plays maybe stylistically a little bit different than in your region or your schedule? Or is that, am I, am I talking up the wrong tree here? No, you're right that we schedule them on purpose, but it's because we have to go West. In West Texas, there's no humidity here. We're at 3,500 feet above sea level, so humidity is our enemy. And when we get into uh, games against West Coast teams, it's awesome. The weather's great. If we go east or southeast for the tournament, it's usually cool enough. You know, we've been to Florida State in November. It's fine. We've been to the southeast in in November. It's fine. But, man, we cannot go east of Dallas in August, September. So we (laughs) love playing the West Coast teams. And they do play a little bit of a different style. But the biggest thing is they are good on the ball. They want to keep it as well. They're pretty committed. We like to press a little bit more than a lot of those teams do. So sometimes that gives us a little edge in those games as well. Tom, real quick, uh, just make a comment about the uh, number of players your program has helped advance to the professional game. Now my light just came back on. Um, We have 16 players in the pros right now, several in the NWSL and several around the world. All the jerseys are hanging up proudly. And that's really in the past six years. I mean, Taylor Lydell, if you remember her, was our first kind of big timer uh, from New Mexico, and she came here, and she just retired from the NWSL after playing nine years, and that really just set the pathway. Some of our girls had the opportunity to play in the NWSL and went to Europe instead for that culture, and some were just better suited, you know, to be in Europe, and they've they've thoroughly enjoyed it. Obviously, Janine Becky playing for Man City is a highlight. She's now in Portland killing it, so we're excited about, you know, Hinkle being back in the league and now Kirsten being in the NWSL, and there's there's a lot of Red Raiders sprinkled around, you know, playing the game for money, and and enjoying every minute of it. Tremendous job growing this program, turning it into a a nationally recognized power. Tom, as always, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Good to hear you. I I hope I run into you this year. Yeah, me too. I'll see you. You won't be here because we don't come to Austin, but we'd love to see you. Yeah, we'd love to see you too. Thank you, Tom, for coming on the program. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. All right, he's Tom Stone. 16 years. um, Built the program immensely 
at Texas Tech. Tremendous job and uh, the passion you can tell just bleeds through. All right, uh, quick word here for Advantage BMW in Midtown. Advantage BMW will experience premier service there. Uh, look, they got me in an X5. I drove it during the, the uh, pandemic all the way to New Jersey. It was, it was like riding in first class. Um, you go there, the service center will be dedicated to putting your time first. The sales team will help you get the perfect new certified pre-owned or pre-owned vehicle. It's Advantage BMW Midtown.